Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Brian Juracek. Brian, thank you so much for joining us here today in this episode of Cassie and. So, Brian, tell us and the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And tell you about myself. Hmm. Uh, well, to start, I suppose at heart, I'm an artist. And that's really what I think all of this is, but we'll kind of wrap with some of that. But I've always been artistically inclined and I started playing music when I was much younger. So I've been playing drums and percussion since I was about seven years old, professionally at about age 12 and had some interesting experiences from a young age, having gone to a military academy when I was 14 years old and traveled around the world playing music and had a music scholarship at Valley Forge Military Academy. So I start there because that really was a continuation of something that my mother emphasized in our household. I grew up in a single mother household, and she was very much in tune with introducing us to other cultures and art and taking us to museums in, in New York City because we live just outside New York. So I really grew up with a big foundation of the creative realms, but much like anybody else's parents, wasn't really encouraged to go be a rock star for my, my profession. So I ended up going to business school and got a master's degree in financial services and moved to New York City and spent about a decade working in wealth management and managed Wall Street folks' personal assets, so traders, investment bankers, and ultra-high net worth families, managing their personal assets and helping with their financial picture. I played music throughout that entire time as well. I was in three different bands and recorded almost 13 or 14 studio albums over that period of time and toured any time I was actually on vacation I was touring. So really kept that creative focus and was able to provide resource for myself through my other more professional based career. But then that all was disrupted in the middle of the pandemic. And I kind of had this shift in my purpose and a better understanding of what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. And that encompassed more of that creative realm as, as more of my professional role and how I made my living. Um, so then I founded New York Culture Club, which is a lifestyle and apparel brand. And what sets us apart is our, our embedding of uh, different types of tech solutions, and that could you know, be microelectronics even in apparel. And that has expanded to Parallel Worlds, which is our Earth intelligence entity that specializes in the deployment of immersive social media on a digital twin of Earth. I suppose that uh, it's all come back to artistry. <laughs> It all does. You know, I, it, you and I had a, a earlier call to kind of prepare for this. And, you know, we definitely synced up really well, I think, in some of our experiences, even though they're a little bit different. But I think we're both appreciate the creative aspect, regardless if you maybe take a more analytical career path. 
I myself was a musician. I had a music scholarship all the way through college and it was something I loved, but nothing I I ever wanted to make a career out of necessarily, but that love of the art is still always there and I think propels you forward to be curious and investigate the world. But we actually got to know each other because of a manicure. And that is an interesting story. I saw, I think, your company being featured in a post on LinkedIn. And then I saw it separately on Instagram later about how you, your company, New York Culture Club, has developed a chip that can be embedded or painted into your manicure. And that can be your business card or whatever you want to do. So you have one on right now. I love it. Tell tell us a little bit about this concept, because I think it's a great idea. Well, it's really what New York Culture Club and and Parallel Worlds are all about when you when you take it up to a high level is meaningfully bridging our physical and digital worlds in ways that can empower others, educate others and help them realize their potential. Right. So the nail chip is just a facilitator. It's just another magic trick in that, that whole repertoire of tricks that we have to help get people introduced to these things or more comfortable talking about some of these more technical kind of topics, right? Um, so what we have here is the New York Culture Club Smart Nail Chip. And you can put this under just a, a gel manicure. I have done so right here. And I have another one on this nail. So sometimes I will have my art on this nail and I'll have my business card on that nail. So as you can see, it can take on many different forms. It's not one thing, right? So I try to describe the, the nail chip and even the microelectronics that we embed in apparel that can be put in the wash and other things. Um, you know, it's about the connection and it's about really viewing that as a cable box, right? It's like a cable box. It is your connection to the endless programming and beautiful things and artistry that we can create out of that. So it's not the thing itself. It's really just a facilitator. And the nail chip is a great way to have a conversation around it, right? So when I tap somebody's phone and it presents magically some information on their phone, it's a magic moment and it creates that pathway for education. And like the ability of the chip is you could have it tied to whatever you want it to. It could be your LinkedIn profile, right? It could be your art portfolio, your your company URL. It's just it's nearly kind of like taking that QR code and, and pushing it a little a little bit further along, right? Absolutely. And when we talk about QR codes, there are in some functional realms and even creative realms, there's limitations. However, I, I should say in creative realms, sometimes the QR code is a benefit, right? So sometimes there's a reason why you want a QR code. If we don't know this thing is, if I had a black nail polish over this, people may not know it's there if I hadn't done it, right? So QR codes are much more visually instantaneously appealing, maybe from a distance, um, but we can use a combination of both, right? And we have actually done that. We've used QR codes in concert with microelectronics and apparel. And we use them for their unique benefits. So some of the limitations to a QR code is a QR code could be smudged, obstructed. It, it doesn't really actually prove authenticity with real veracity. It, it, so for instance, if I scan the microchip that's in this shirt right here, there's actually a procedure, a, a secure, unique message procedure that is passed into this piece of hardware. And this hardware sends a unique number back to my phone telling it that it is what I think it is. A QR code doesn't really achieve that same level of security and encryption procedure. 
Right, because a QR code could be tampered with by threat actors where they kind of superimpose another QR code on top of an existing one that takes you to a malicious website or something like that. And the benefit to a chip or the hardware is you have more control over tampering and things like that, right? Correct. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of funny if we really dig under the surface of some of our most strongest faith-based institutions like barcodes, right? They're really not doing anything in this new technological era that is really buttoned up, right? It's There's a lot of holes that we can poke in these things. People are starting to poke larger and larger holes. Some of these things have privacy and theft of digital information. Things have been occurring in mass for a long time. I would say that we are just starting to really address some of these things in the correct form and fashion to button up this huge digital footprint that everybody has now. Yeah, we have a big one. It's going to get bigger, but hopefully safer over time. One thing I really find very intriguing about what New York Culture Club is doing is kind of like that digital fashion and bridging the gap between or creating new opportunities, I should say, for content creators. And I think it was one of the post either on LinkedIn or Instagram where, or maybe you talking about it, how the ability for someone walking down the street and someone saying, ah, I love your outfit. And that person could say, actually, here, you can scan this and you can go buy it yourself if you want. So it's really taking away that whole process where you go through a brand with an affiliate code. It it really is giving that content creator, that influencer, more direct access to get the benefit of the fruit of their labors in a way. Is that how you see like the next gen of Web3 taking place? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. That's what we call where to earn or in the larger sense, brand ambassadorship. So I would challenge people moving forward to ask what has Nike paid back to the community, right? And if we really look under the hood, There's the big campaigns and greenwashing campaigns and things like that tell us all of the great things that Nike has done and all the monies they've given away. But when we really scratch under the surface, it's pretty nominal in the overall magnitude of their business operations. And what I would really ask is, what if they paid the artist over time, right? And other than Michael Jordan and a few others that typically fall into the sports categories, The artists who created the patterns and the graphic artistry behind a lot of this have been forgotten. And those artists, whether they are in this particular case in fashion apparel and graphic artistry, or even in the music space, we know as as everything ported into digital realms, that a lot of musicians and artists and people in these creative categories have found themselves in the lowest portion of the value dust hole. And that is a bit disturbing because what we want to do is help as these digital footprints expand, help provide a better security and resource for people based upon their creative spirit and what they're putting out there in the world, right? So we find that we've been creating everything on Facebook. We've been creating everything on TikTok. We've been creating everything on Instagram. And not a lot of us have have derived a lot of resource off of that. In fact, we've, in many cases, been pinned against each other and, and behaviors, ugly behaviors have emerged. So what we try to do is hand that power back to the people and we say, if you're going to wear something that has parallel worlds on the front of it or New York Culture Club on the front of it, 
that as you uniquely express yourself and show others how cool you are and how cool our brands are and how you want to be a part of that and what we do, we want you to be able to reap the same benefits and rewards off of these particular displays of your creativity or what you stand for in a very automated format. And so a microchip in the apparel, as you noted, can allow somebody to come up, scan, and they could be at my personal point of influence or personal point of sale if they're actually making a purchase from a marketplace. And I can compensate that person instantaneously in an automated incentive or even a royalty. I I just find it all, again, it's like completely replacing the concept of affiliate codes. It's it's a concept we're, we're very familiar with in like that influencer area on Instagram. And it really just, I think, pushes it that much further beyond the confines of the individual social media platforms. And talking about pushing the confines, I know New York Culture Club recently made an announcement about New York Fashion Week and a launch that you are going to have at New York Fashion Week. I would love for you to share with the audience what you can about that launch. Yeah, well, we can't tell you uh, the very specifics, but I'll give you the general gist of it. So uh, a number of months ago, I met uh, independent designer Yakin. Yakin and I actually, crazy enough, started designing a collection with no show to even show it at. So that's actually a fun part of the story that I haven't told anyone. So you're hearing it first that we started designing this collection with no show. And we just both met and felt that it was something that needed to be done. We wanted to collaborate on something and we wanted to use the understanding of microelectronics and how they can be used to redefine a new collection that could showcase this to, to the world. And so Yakin um, was fascinated by all the, the ways that we were helping with tech solutions in this space and wanted to learn more. And we felt, why not do it through the process of a project? So that's why we kind of started this project without a show. And then the universe blessed us with a show. So It happens sometimes. Yeah. I mean, listen, collective consciousness and energy comes around. We were presented with a show at Out of Nowhere, extraordinary opportunity actually to showcase and officially on the New York Fashion Week runway. It's an eight-piece collection. It's called Amplify You. Myself and Yakin have dually designed it. Yakin has done a lot of the cut and sew and the the technical uh, portion of it. I've done a lot of the vision and creative uh, behind it, and it incorporates microelectronics or near-field communications in, in particular so that all of these outfits um, allow themselves to be smart um, in a way. So you can uh, approach your phone to them, and that's where I will keep it uh, a little under wraps, but there will be different types of unique experiences um, off of these interactions that you can have physically with the apparel, much like you know my fingernails here. So again, whether it's on your fingernail, whether it's embedded in fashion and apparel, whether it's in a musical instrument, whether it's in a coffee mug, there's so many wild, creative things that we can do with this. And that's where I try to inspire others to believe that this isn't just some gate-kept technology. This is somewhere that they can explore and they can come up with creative things as well. Yeah, I I find that I like to say that F for NFT, the F in NFT stands for fashion. I really do feel that the fashion world has, while some of the metaverse chatter has kind of died down and it was overhyped, I agree with it, but there are elements of it still 
driving forward. And I think a huge part of that is fashion and beauty. Mm. And we're seeing the influence of emerging tech on the runways, right? Where it looks like fabrics, like new fabrics are getting developed and very like modern futuristic element to the designs. Do you see that continuing to happen? Like in my brain, I just imagine someone's out there developing fabric that has nano electronics integrated into it. So I can display my NFT on my jacket or something like that. Do you think we'll be going in that direction, Brian? Yeah, you know what? And we have been. I I would say we have been for quite some time. So as far as concept pieces, some of those things that you described are already out there. And some of them have existed for decades. In fact, right, if we're being stewards of the truth, this has existed since 1940s, right? So uh, it's been patented since the 70s. It's just being more widely used now that phones now have NFC reader writers in them. And that wasn't the case prior to the iPhone 6 and many iterations before that don't have the ability to read these types of antennas. So overall, it's it's really having patience for the way that we work as well and humans behave. So we can come up with the most beautiful technologies, right? But if we can't use them or we don't perceive that we can intuitively access this or go through some of the initial hurdles, to see the benefits of of these new technologies. It doesn't matter how beautiful the house is inside. If the lawn is six feet high or it's hard to get through the weeds, we never get in, right? So um, I used an example of this on a, a previous call this morning, but here in New York City, the Department of Sanitation released trash bins that are solar compacting. They have a handle on them and there's a, a foot pedal that actually opens them. But Most people don't see the foot pedal because it's not designed to stand out in any way. Most people grab it and try to pull it, and then it doesn't open because you have to download an application to actually open the trash bin, and that's the QR code on the front of it. Now, most people don't want to download an application, right, especially after I grabbed a bin and dirtied my hands on a New York City (laughs) trash bin and then was touching my phone. I'm not pleased about downloading an app. And then there was a trash can sitting right next to that solar compacting awesome trash can. And it had an eight inch diameter hole, like a normal trash can that we could just throw trash in. And no one was using the highly technical one, right? That was beautiful and elegant, awesome. It's best idea ever, probably co-designed with NASA for the New York Department of Sanitation. No one's using it, not a single person. And in fact, it's, it's making people dissatisfied, right? So it just goes to show, right? You can have the most beautiful, elegant thing sitting here and nobody's using it, right? So we got to be careful not to do that moving forward. And that's part of what immersive environments do is it helps us present information in a way that is a little more intuitive and in lockstep with our actual physiology and biology. Well, let's talk about like that immersive experience again, touching on the metaverse again. I I have a good friend who was at a conference this past week and his panel was on the metaverse and he'd done it the prior year. The prior year had 400 attendees. This week there were 40. You know, the, the coolness has worn off of the concept of metaverse, but I think it is still moving forward in very meaningful ways. Digital twins being one of them, I think that we're seeing it in construction use cases, in engineering use cases, manufacturing facilities. And that's really what Parallel Worlds is all about, isn't it? The 
a digital twin type of immersive experience. That's correct. Yeah. And we hit on both of those tones, both the creative and the functional. So some people define these as industrial metaverse now, right? And industrial metaverse is really hitting on digital twinning of different types of manufacturing facilities. And a lot of the traditional usages of digital twins have been in, say, automotive plants. Or if we go back to the origins, really, with physical twinning with NASA and the Apollo 13 mission led to then the application of digital twins later. Most people think it was that mission. There was no digital twinning back then. It was physical twinning. And then that gave birth (laughs) to digital twinning. But what we really see is that Um, digital twinning and presenting information in a mirrored collaborative sandbox environment of augmented reality assets and virtual reality presentation, right? So being able to go into a augmented and virtual reality setting of earth, right? And anywhere be able to interact with different types of immersive content, whether that be for training in a facility for automotive application, or whether that be I'm in the middle of New York City and I want to find out the closest ATM or the closest restaurant, and I just pull up the JP Morgan layer and then I can see where all ATMs are immersively around me, right? And if I want my friend to, from Japan to join me for a walk in Central Park, that person could put on a, uh, a headset, right? And I could walk alongside that person either with my phone and wave to them and have a nice walk through Central Park and interact with that particular person, or I could have a lightweight glass on, right, eventually, that frees my hands up and and gives a better understanding that people know aren't going to walk around with their phones, right? The hardware will change over time and adapt to the new presentation of these assets. So in, in a nice little bow, I suppose, our misunderstanding was that we focused on escape your reality with the headsets for a few years. And most people won't be able to afford that. And most people don't really want to be in that or have time to be in that all day. So it's far less escape your reality for the people that are outside the gaming categories. And it's far more reshape your reality, right? And we believe that's going to be far more through augmented presentation of these assets and different types of immersive content. And we'll view those through our phone at first. And then that will change to different types of hardware and glasses and things that are coming out. In, in the end, it may just be a small node on my clothing that casts some sort of projection or a thing off the person eventually. We don't know. We're remaining you know, more hardware agnostic. We're not building hardware in our low worlds. We're, we're actually, in fact, being very thoughtful to remain elastic to a changing hardware landscape. And those examples you mentioned, that's all being developed right now. I know I think it's a human AI as as they announced they're launching a phone that really is just like a, a lapel chip that yeah. can oh, yeah. project and like th- there's a really interesting demo of it. Maybe what was conceptualized as a metaverse that's fully immersive may turn into a hologram situation or something like that. We just don't know what the tool that will get developed captures the attention of of the world. It's just an interesting time to wait and see to w- which one's going to win the day. But I think the fact that you're all being agnostic is very smart. Because again, like we don't know what's going to win at the end of the day or, or what's going to be the next iteration of an iPhone. And there will be another one, I think, at some point. But yes. we talked about it conceptually. Tell us a little bit more specifically 
what is parallel world exactly? What does it mean to me as a consumer or a participant in social media? Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Because that's really the the core of this is really we're entering an age of prosumerism, what we call prosumerism. And that really recognizes us for the first time as producer consumers, right? We've been conned into thinking we're consumers, right? We kind of uploaded the world to the internet 30 years ago in plain text. And now we need to add access controls, encryption, ownership procedure, and some other guardrails here. We've, through regulation, added some of the lowest hanging privacy and regulations and things in those areas and data protection. But we still have a lot of work to even do in those spaces. So like I said, we um, really seek to be at Parallel Worlds a creative and functional tool belt and the canvas upon which you will paint these beautiful things. So we really are presenting people with artificially or artificial intelligence based toolkits that will creatively and functionally enhance their interactions with not only their physical realm, but their digital realm as well. That also will bridge into fidgetal based products or smart products. That's where New York Culture Club comes in, right? So New York Culture Club is just another form of IoT in this whole system that feeds data into that digital twin to help us better understand these things. Parallel Worlds is really about building that canvas with integrity so that we can all paint on it. Because the truth is, what is metaverse? I'll define it right now, very simply for you, okay? Metaverse is a living, breathing, anthropological ecosystem. It's us. It's just us. And you hit on this. What is the point of all of this? To take back control to actually celebrate us and not money because we've created the largest companies and the most influential companies in the world operate in a technological system that does not celebrate humanity. It does not celebrate the appropriate distribution of resource. Our politics and our fear-based infrastructures don't emphasize that either. They are owned by the people who own those companies. Lobbying institutions make sure of it. And our entire world is being run with fear and greed. And I want to flip that. I want to show people that they're better than that. I want to empower people to understand that we can take control back. And that is actually the most important part about this is we have to believe that we're worth it. We have to believe that we're relevant. Right. And we can't just submit to, I can't do anything. I'm just one person. Or how am I going to do anything? Right. No, we're going to do it together. But somebody needs to take a role in leadership to help organize a lot of these different digital footprints that are ever expanding. We need to build an infrastructure that can get a better understanding of where all this is at so that we can better solidify our systems of traffic and transportation and public health and safety and urban management where we die by a thousand cuts of inefficiency over and over and over every day. And we just pat ourselves on the back about sending satellites into space and taking pictures, but we can't get food and drinking water. That's pathetic. I won't stand for it. My companies won't stand for it. And I am employing individuals and, and anyone who wants to be a part of this on the periphery 
as an army who is going to wage a war of compassion against what hasn't worked. The interesting effect of social media as we've experienced it over the years is in some ways we've we've lost our social graces a little bit. And I think that we communicate in a way that we as humans probably were never meant to communicate. And that has created apathy and diminished maybe empathy. So parallel world, do you see that as a mechanism to bring people back together and create more of that communal type spirit? Is that what you're thinking? Yes. So prosumerism only reigns if there's a truth. There has to be somebody who says this is where things are at. Now, the truth evolves over time. I'm not saying this is Brian's truth. I stand aside from the truth just as anybody else does. And what I stand for is that the the truth stands aside from even me, right? But somebody has to say, this is what's going on with our traffic and transportation. This is what's going on with our urban planning, right? We have to better understand this. And we do. And we've laid a lot of data and we've laid a lot of sensors and hardware that feed very rich data back to certain centralized sources. The problem is that most of those centralized sources don't then communicate that information with other relevant parties, right? So again, we uploaded the world to this internet and digital realms in the cloud now, right? And we didn't get like the most basic points of integration and um, secure and encrypted and firewall data transfer. I'm not saying just let it all run amok. Right. I'm not saying everyone should just share everything with everyone. No, we understand that's not how it works. In fact, we understand that so well that we're trying to create a level playing field for this. Uh, so functionally, we're trying to create better ways to share information to take part in, you know, really improving those larger decision system sciences that I talked about. But then down to the micro level, yes, you hit on it. We're meeting people where they are in social me- media realms. And we're giving them that creative and tool, creative and functional tool belt, because that will be their understanding of all of this, right? You may not care where you are in space and time, maybe until somebody's shooting out the window of a hotel at you while you're at a concert, right? There's these moments, public health and safety, where mm-hmm. you may really care about certain information that normally you wouldn't otherwise care about because you're worried about getting to whatever location or concept. So it sounds like there's that potential at the individual level. It may be a social media platform that really lets the person who's creating the content kind of control that and get the financial benefit of it more maybe than has been the case in traditional web two social media apps, but also because of the interconnectedness of all of these IoT data points it's also spreading that information out to the broader community. So there can be maybe be an equitable reallocation of resources or something. Is that, is that kind of the thought of, hey, if you left now, you would minimize. I think that was an example you gave. If you left sure. now, if you just did your commute just by X amount, like you would have less time on the road. That kind of prompting as opposed to you get a prompt sometimes right now if you have a calendar invite and you get told you need to leave by this time, but there's nothing proactively saying there's really bad traffic already building up. You may want to leave a little bit earlier and have dinner or something like that. So it's just being a little 
bit more proactive with the share of some data to maybe improve quality of life or access to certain resources. Correct. And if that was coordinated with the the layer of the weather channels data and information, maybe it told you to leave for that dinner party earlier because there's actually a really bad thunderstorm moving in as well. So it coordinated not only like information that would be derived from someone, something like Waze, right? And, and mm-hmm. just right. Tra- traffic accidents or incidences. Uh, then it coordinates that with weather. Then it coordinates it with this. Then it layers it with that. And then all of a sudden, we're in a world 10 to 15 years from now, and we just go, remember when we used to sit in traffic in the tunnel? Like, is that <laughs> right? And, and it's yeah. like, why don't we yeah. sit in traffic anymore? It's like, oh, because everybody now gets incentivized to leave at certain times, or you get free toll tags, or you get free passes. Or, and what do those toll tags run on? same type of technology. It's ultra high frequency RFID. So, I mean, like all of these things, we can even put something in your sleeve that you could use for, say, the OmniPass going through the subway system. And then if there's a switch break at a 456 train, we could reward individuals, double the rewards to ride the L train before 4 and 6 p.m. And because I've got the sweatshirt from New York Culture Club, I got push notified to my phone and I just earned a free subway ride. When what I don't really know is that the MTA was trying to make me go to the L train because the four, five, six has got a switch prop and they just redirected a quarter million people to a different, you know, subway stuff. So. I mean, the benefits could be huge, especially in very congested urban areas, especially in those urban areas, the public transportation. If you're trying to get a big sporting event or something mm-hmm. like that, I could just see huge benefits all of the way around. So you know, For a sporting event, if I can interrupt real quick, this is mm-hmm. a great example because people try to conceptualize what is parallel worlds. And you, you asked before very pointedly, and yes, it will be a mobile application that you pull up on your phone. And if you are physically in that location and looking at pass through, you're going to have a very uncluttered, very elegant pass through to be able to view augmented reality assets and present them. And you'll have voice to object capability. Right. And you'll be able to say, give me this. And then you'll be able to view that in the context of your open space. Right. And it will know because of the digital twin, it will have a sense of occlusion or it will know not to render that object in the middle of a building or the middle of my wall. Right. So that the digital twin informs the real world contextual stitching of all this immersive media that we're trying to have people engage with. But then for a particular sports stadium, or if I'm going to MetLife Stadium, maybe I have the newest sports jersey, right? For the Jets or the, the Giants, I have the newest jersey from New York Culture Club's collaboration with hopefully the NFL at some point, right? And uh, somebody gets push notified because it's, it's geofenced, right? So I've got a node in my jersey. I walk into MetLife Stadium, push notifies my phone. Ask me if I want to share my DraftKings fantasy football stats above my head in augmented reality. And I said, sure, yeah, absolutely. Right? Oh, and so wow. all of us are interacting with each other and seeing the different maybe bets or different things that we all have on the game. Whatever, right? Those things aren't necessarily for me to create. Again, I need to just present businesses and individuals with the appropriate creative and functional tool belt. They will use it as they see fit. Many prosumers will use it to make music and content and fun things. And what we hope uh, eventually is that they will collaborate with the largest brands and retailers out there 
and through what we call flash licensing. They will work with large brands and retailers to create, whether it's digital assets or maybe even fidgety, right? So if I create something so compelling, maybe Mattel calls me up and says, we really want to make the physical version of this because you just sold 10 million digital versions. I, I mean, I just think the potential is so huge. It's really exciting to kind of see where we're going to be in a year or two years, because I do mm-hmm. think it's going to start progressing very quickly. And to me, I'll be keeping an eye on your companies, New York Culture Club and Parallel Worlds. As we wind down at the end of this, Brian, I would love just to hear, you know, your closing thoughts or maybe, you know, what you would say to naysayers, people out there who are skeptics about some of this technology. Well, there's nothing to be skeptical about. We, again, it's us. We created it. Like we, we, we've built all this. So actually, again, we can't stand aside from it and act like technology's got the, got the one up on us. We built it. We architected these things. In fact, I would say take responsibility, take accountability and ownership for the fact that we do have control over all this. And in fact, it's a very empowering thing. And you can use that to express yourself uniquely and creatively. And that's what I would really say. That's what I found a few years ago. And that's what really forced me into everything that I'm doing today is I found my purpose and my, my position in space and time. And I would say that everyone needs to just find what they're passionate about and how they can leave their mark on the world, which is actually true ownership. All we truly own is the mark that we've left on all of this or existing base of knowledge and culture. I mean, it's a very inspiring thought and takeaway, right? How can we maybe make the world a little bit better after we're gone? So very, very inspiring, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always enjoy our conversations. I know I've learned a thing or two for you, and I'm sure the audience has too. And to the audience, thank you so much for joining. And we hope you stick around for the next episode of Cassie and. Brian Yurichek. And Brian, and Brian Yurichek, yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>